because many of our women are on the annual women's cruise into Key West and into the Bahamas. My wife is one. Uh, Rob's wife is another. We are just thankful to have our kids in church today with matching shoes <laughs> and all that. Your hair looks nice, honey. And uh, so the ladies, <laughs> they get back, Lord willing, tomorrow night. Um, I talked to Darina this morning. They're having a great time. The sisters, they're having a great time. My sister and my niece from Baltimore, um, this is their second year accompanying our church. And so they're also having a blessed time as well. Next Sunday, um, the Vespers will lead us in worship. Am I right about that? You guys going to lead us in worship? My, 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 what an anointing on this group. Um, God is using them in many, many venues, and we're honored that they will lead us in worship next week. Now, I will not be here next week. Um, I told you that I was going out of town to be at the memorial service for Dr. Ken Hutcherson, who um, founded Antioch Bible Church over 25 years ago, which was one of the first multiracial churches um, that existed here in America. And so he passed away from a bone cancer last month, and they are having a memorial service. And so I'm going to go up, spend time with the family, and see Elder Sherman, Sister Sharon. And uh, Sherman contacted me on Friday to let me know that the church, Antioch, asked since I was going to be in town. I was trying to get back. I couldn't get a flight back. But since I'm going to be in town, they asked if I would address their congregation uh, on that Sunday morning on the topic of where do we go from here. So I would ask you to pray with me on that, that I can speak a good word to encourage congregation of about 3,000, majority white, about 70% white, and then 30% makes up African-American, Native American, Hawaiian, all kinds of uh, people groups there, beautiful church. And so uh, pray that God will give me a word to encourage that body. He is the only pastor that they have had. A senior pastor. So I um, want to be sensitive as I encourage them. And then um, another thing I want to let you know is that um, information is forthcoming about the new year. Uh, my administrative assistant, Tanya Franklin, is on the cruise. So once she gets back, we'll get all the administration stuff together. We'll know what's going on with Christian education, men's ministry, the Valentine's banquet, which I want to see happen. Pastor Daryl down in our new fellowship hall. Uh, we got a new website that we're going to be launching soon. So a lot of great things are coming. So just hang on. We'll give you all the information. And then um, we want to pray for Brother Stuart Tutler and Mike Allen. Uh, Stuart, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, his dad uh, got very sick. He passed away, uh, and his home going was on Saturday. And Mike Allen's mother, also known as DJ Match, uh, his mother passed away. And uh, I'm, I think the uh, home going is next week for that. So we want to remember them and others who have had loved ones pass um, during the holiday season. And finally, just to give you an update on where we are with this building that we were able to occupy on the last Sunday in August, God provided for us. Um, we set a goal, um, a primary goal to raise $2 million to purchase it, and a secondary goal of 400000 to be able to put us in a good position with a loaning institution. Well, we almost reached our secondary goal of 400000 by December 31st. That was our deadline. Um, the Lord brought in $356,000 of that 400000 So to him be the glory for that. That is major because we didn't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of people 
in our church. We have a great size congregation. Um, we had a short amount of time. We were also battling Black Friday and Christmas. And I want to thank all of you for offering, giving those sacrificial offerings. Um, as we said, the Lord wasn't looking at the amount per se. He always looks at the heart and the amount of sacrifice. And I know that um, many of you, if not all of you, made sacrifices. I saw children bringing bags of change and all of that. And so uh, one parent tried to hop one of their children. We said, no, we can't take the child. But uh, man, 356000 And we are still accepting donations. They're coming in still from people around the country who are still sending money in to bless Strong Tower Bible Church. Um, secondly, we have a signed contract with Otter Creek with a closing date set for February the 28th or before. February the 28th or before we plan to close on this property. Um, thirdly, SunTrust Bank has the signed contract and they are proceeding to extend to us a 20-year mortgage with a 10-year rate lock. So I want to thank Elder Mike for spearheading, spearheading that for us. We talked to many lo uh, lending institutions. SunTrust rose to the top for us. And uh, you know Strong Tower. Um, we will pay it off as soon as possible. We're, we're probably going to set like a seven-year goal, you know, in keeping with the Old Testament year of Jubilee, getting out of debt. Um, we're going to pay it off, so we thank God for what is materializing. And we expect the loan to be formally approved shortly. You know, they had to go through the holiday season just like we did, and uh, SunTrust has already ordered the appraisal on the property. There are inspections that are being done even now. And then fourthly, uh, once our loan is formally approved, there will be an inspection and final repairs will be made by Otter Creek or negotiated into the final contract. And then uh, fifthly, we will have our Got This House dedication on February 21st through the 23rd. So the whole campaign was get this house, but we're going to celebrate that we got this house Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the last weekend in February. And uh, the Lord bless where one of my Mentors is going to come and close out our dedication service on Sunday evening, and that is Dr. Tony Evans from Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas, is going to be our final speaker that weekend. So we're still putting pieces together, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful ride. God's been faithful. He has been faithful. What does he have in store this year? I mean, who saw this this year? And uh, baptizing six people, um, two of them being adults, one, Brian, rededicating and then the other, uh, making a profession of faith for the first time. And, uh, man, amazing stuff. And then pa Brother Raul is also going to get baptized with his family coming up. He also was the other gentleman who made a public profession of faith. So it's coming, y'all. God's saving lives. He's changing lives. And I'm excited to be a part of the ride. Is anybody else excited to be a part of what Jesus is doing? <laughs> Amen. We get to be here, Christy. We get to be here. And, Christy, um... You know, since I'm going to be out next week, uh, do you think you can bring a word, you know, to the body next week? You got that? Um, I tell people all the time, because it's true, you are the most gifted teacher in this body, and uh, one of the best I've ever, ever heard. And that's Kay Arthur, that's all the women that are out there, all the men. God has gifted you with a wonderful gift of communication. And you're a nerd. You'd love to study. <laughs> amen. Can all the nerds say amen? amen. <laughs> well, let me help the nerds. I'm going to put my glasses on. 
I'm going to have to go to the doctor this year and get a checkup because certain things when you turn 45 start going downhill. I got a hearing aid in. Now I'm going to need glasses. You get up in... What, what was that? I can't hear? Man, you know, oh, boy. I'll, I'll leave it alone. I'll stop right there, but man. <laughs> All right, Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. I'll back it up. I'll, I'll start at verse 17. And then uh, be right. You guys will come and close us with a worship song, and Christy will close us in prayer. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Verse 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have given, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. So give me a moment to talk on the subject of will Jesus rejoice or weep over you? Will Jesus rejoice or weep over you? In Luke chapter 10, verse 21, we see evidence of the Trinity of God because we see Jesus, the Son of God. He's rejoicing in the Spirit of God, and he's talking and thanking the Father God. So we see the Trinity in verse 21, Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father. Jesus is rejoicing in the Spirit, and he's thanking God the Father for what he has done on the mission field. And so I ask myself a question, and this is how I read and try to comprehend the Bible. I ask questions of it. And as I ask questions of it, I then do inductive Bible study on how to find the answer to it. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to open up my eyes, the eyes of my heart, that I may understand the scriptures. And so a question came to me, and that is, what made Jesus rejoice? Yes, I see the Trinity here, but I also see a rejoicing Savior what made Jesus rejoice in the spirit in that hour? Was he rejoicing because the 70 returned back safely? You know, they went out on this missions trip into the harvest field. The Bible doesn't tell us how long they were gone, but they end up coming back. And is that the reason he rejoiced? I think it's a little deeper than that. Did he rejoice because he saw Satan's program being dethroned in the various cities that the 70 went into? Remember, Jesus said, I saw Satan falling like lightning because Jesus gave them authority over these 
demonic forces. And above all, the gospel message that they preached was the power of God unto salvation. And so people were crossing over from the realm of death into the realm of light. They was they, life. They were leaving darkness and moving into the marvelous light. And so was Jesus rejoicing because Satan's dominions were being dethroned? Um, I don't think so. I think it's a little bit deeper than that. Uh, the first point, I believe, the reason why Jesus rejoiced over people, he rejoiced because these people responded to him like babes with childlike faith. I'm going to unpack that. I, I believe he was rejoicing because the people in the cities, when they heard the message from the 70, they responded to the message with childlike faith. That caused Jesus to rejoice. He rejoiced because the people got it. And to get it was to get him. And every teacher, starting with Jesus, who's the greatest teacher, if you ask what fulfills a teacher the most, it's when the people they're speaking to or trying to instruct, it's when they get it. When the light goes off and they get it, Jesus rejoiced because the people got it. They got it that he was Israel's king and Messiah. They got it. They got him. He rejoiced in the spirit for he came to save people from sin. And so that's what makes him rejoice that sinners got the good news. So Jesus is rejoicing because the 70 that he sent out and the people that they reached, they understood the gospel message. And these same people in these cities in Judah... These various cities, these same people who responded uh, favorably to the message, they will be the ones who will welcome Jesus when he formally comes into Jerusalem as he comes down the Mount of Olives riding on a colt. It will be these ones who were just reached, these babes, these ones with childlike faith, they will align the street and they will be the ones singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the only reason and the only way that these people could know who Jesus was and the only way that we know who Jesus is is because the Father must reveal Jesus to us. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. The Father must reveal Jesus to us because no one understands, no one seeks after God, Romans chapter 3. So God must seek after us and give us understanding. And as B. Wright led us today, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you, not just for salvation, even though that's the beginning of seeing the Lord. But every day, Lord, open my heart that I may see you with eyes of faith. And so the Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 44, that no one can come to the Son unless the Father draws that person. Because again, no one's going to come of their own volition because men and women are dead in trespasses and in sin. So God must awaken. He must quicken the sinner. He must lead that sinner to Jesus, and then Jesus leads that sinner to the Father. Then the Holy Spirit indwells that sinner at the moment of conversion. So the triune Godhead works in our salvation. 
The Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi and he was asking the disciples, what do men or who do men say that I am? And there were all kinds of opinions about who Jesus was. Was he Jeremiah? Was he Elijah? Was he one of the other prophets? But that's when Peter spoke up and said, we believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are blessed, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. It can't. Who revealed that to Simon? My father revealed that to you. So the only way that we know who Jesus is, is when the father reveals him to our hearts. John chapter 1 speaks about the mission of Jesus and how he came to his own people, but by and large his own did not receive him. And they still do not receive him today. But the Bible says in John 1, 12, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. And so the father must reveal to us that Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world. We cannot figure that out in our minds. So the posture of their heart on the mission field, it was a childlike posture. Because Jesus said, you revealed me to babes. So the posture of their heart was childlike. So as God was moving on their heart to respond to the message, it coincided with a heart that was childlike, a heart that was very simple and sensitive to the gospel message. So therefore, adults then and now, adults need to have childlike faith. Adults then and adults now need to have hearts like children. In Matthew chapter 18, yes, Matthew chapter 18, I'll begin reading at verse 2. This is what Jesus said after the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest around here. The Bible says, then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the Lord is encouraging adults to be like children. Like when Jesus called that child to come in the midst, that child responded and came. That child didn't sit on the side and ask, what do you want? Uh, what are you going to ask me? What's the purpose of this? No, that child responded to the loving call of Master Jesus. And Jesus was saying to the adults, to the grown-ups, you need to have the same kind of trusting faith that this little child has. And unless you become like this child, in other words, get out of your grown-upness, humble yourself, you'll never enter or experience the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying, adults, we need to be childlike. But so often as adults, we are childish. Oh, I don't have time to run off on that. But we are more childish than childlike. And we act childish as adults when you can't tell us sometimes from a toddler or an adult because we start fighting over what's mine, 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 mine. Uh, uh, stingy with stuff, crying easily, fighting all the time, breaking up and splitting up and getting mad and crossing your arms and pouting out your lips. We act childish a lot. When God calls us to act childlike, Lord, I repent today. 
You have childlike faith. Here's just a couple of characteristics when you have childlike faith. Because Jesus is saying, we've got to be like this. Not only to be converted, but also to live converted. You have childlike faith when you are moved by the simplicity of the gospel. You know, man, your heart is like a child when, yes, Jesus loves me. That song can break you down. Because the Bible tells me so. Just the basics of the fact that he loves me. I'm not going to get so intellectual and grown up and sophisticated that I overlook the simple fact that God loves me today and I cannot stop him from loving me. His love for me is full. It is satisfied. It casts out fear because his love is perfect. And if I can just sit here and be satisfied and secure in the love of God, if I just believe the gospel today for myself, that God demonstrated love for me while I was still a sinner, Jesus died. What else is there that can come against me that can make me feel down when I start thinking of the fact that he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Just the simplicity of the gospel. Oh, my. That's when you know you're still like a child. But also, you have childlike faith when you are teachable. Oh, my. When you're teachable, children want to learn. They want to grasp and get a hold of rudimentary principles and elementary principles. They want to learn. They are eager to learn. And one of the reasons they are teachable is what Jesus said about this child is that this child was humble. But thirdly, you have childlike faith, not only because you're moved by the gospel and you remain teachable, but you also obey the Lord's commands. Jesus said, child, I need you. That child came. And you know you're still like a child in your faith with the Lord. I love how B. Wright, as we were worshiping, he was reminding us of the fatherhood of God. We are still his children, sons and daughters, no matter what age we are. And we need to crawl up in his lap and acknowledge that he is Abba, Father, dear Daddy. And when Daddy gives us a command, we obey. Jesus said, or rather John said in 1 John, that the commands of God are not a burden. Um, this weekend um, with my wife out of town, I've been asking my children to do stuff, you know, to help out. Go get this and go get that. And uh, my youngest one, I was asking her to go get me a bottle of water. And man, she just went and got it. And I marveled over the fact that she just went and did that. Like she didn't ask me like, what? Uh, how many you want? Why? Uh, no, she just went and did it and brought it back to me with a smile. <laughs> like, oh yeah, we got to keep on building on this. But that's how you know you're a child when the Lord asks you to do something. You do it. You do it with a smile on your face. But I'm going somewhere in a minute, so just, so just hold on. Because at the same time, when he's talking about people responding to the gospel, uh, exercising childlike faith, these people on the harvest field in the various cities that the 70 ministered to, at the same time, God hid his revelation from the so-called wise and prudent. I go back to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, revelation was revealed, but revelation was also hidden because Jesus said, you have hidden these things about who I am from the wise and prudent. So as people are opening up their heart and they're receiving Christ, there are some who are closing their hearts and the revelation is hidden from them. And so what we see right here is Jesus being sarcastic. Every now and then, Jesus was sarcastic. He, he, he knew how to minister to people. He had a great wit about him. And so, he says the wise and the prudent. And 
This is not speaking of wise and prudence like we see in Proverbs as something good. No, this is something bad. These are people who are too big for their britches to acknowledge the fact that they need to become a child or like a child to accept this Messiah called Jesus Christ. Because the word uh, prudent here can also be translated as intellectual. Uh, These are the wise and intellectual or the big-headed people, the people who are too smart. And Jesus would eventually weep over the unbelief of these folks. So my second and final point is Jesus weeps over people who respond to him like they are wise and prudent. It breaks his heart. God is not willing that any should perish. The book of Ezekiel said he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so God weeps, Jesus weeps, because coming to know God is primarily a matter of the heart and not a thing of the head. That's why many adults miss him. That's why I learned in seminary that 95% of those who come to faith in Christ do so before the age of 21. So for the other 5%, they're getting saved at a later age. But those must become like children to accept Jesus. But a lot of adults are not accepting Jesus because they don't want to humble themselves like a child and say that somebody else needs to save me because most folks who are wise and intelligent believe they can save themselves. But that's why the children's ministry is so important. If that statistic is true, we got to keep on sowing seeds in there. You got to keep doing it at home. That's why the student ministry is so important, because while their hearts are still soft and receptive, we need to keep planting the gospel seeds of the kingdom in them. And then for adults, today I'm going to encourage any adult in this place, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to humble yourself Like we saw a few weeks ago with two grown men coming to Jesus. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm coming for you. But most importantly, Jesus died for you, and the Holy Spirit is coming after you today. Imagine what could happen if we just stop wondering about what people think about us and and, and stop wondering about when, when they look at us, if we would just humble ourselves before the Lord. This is why in Matthew chapter 13, again, this salvation is not a matter of the head. First, it's a matter of the heart. And then we want to be careful that as we grow in the faith, we don't become heady Christians and our hearts become hard. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 13. I can't read all of this passage, but this is what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But then I love verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Now, in the Gospels, there's this thing called radical reversal. Let me explain it to you real quickly. Radical reversal. When we talk about the kingdom of God, it's an upside-down kingdom. In the kingdom of God, the last are first. In the kingdom of God, it's upside down. Those who admit that they're blind can see. In the kingdom of God, those who admit that they're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, they will be satisfied. In the kingdom of God, the weak are strong. The poor are rich. Those who are sick are well. When you admit I'm sick, that's when you're well. That's the kingdom. When you admit and acknowledge I am lost, that's when you are found. 
But conversely, for those outside of the kingdom of God, uh, the first will be last. Those who, are think, who think that they are fed, technically they are empty. Those who think they can see, Jesus said, they're the blind ones. Those who think that they are found, technically they are lost. So there's this uh, upside down nature of the kingdom of God. And so there are people who think that they already got God. The religious people of the day and then others in the cities who rejected the 70 and their message, what they were saying is they were too smart or they already had God, but they had God on their terms and not on God's terms. So Jesus said that they are wise and prudent. Really means they are foolish and ignorant, technically. And this is why Jesus wept over them. Luke chapter 19, as Jesus goes into Jerusalem riding on a colt, fulfilling scripture from the book of Zechariah, the Bible says, as he was coming into the city, verse 41 of chapter 19, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You see, God is a good steward of his revelation. If we don't respond to the light that he gives us, he won't give us more light. We must respond to what we see about God, what we see about Jesus, so that he can give us more light. But if we resist and reject the revelation and reject the light, he's not going to give us any more, and now he will hide the light from us. That's a dangerous place to be in. But only if people would acknowledge that I'm lost that I'm broken, that I'm sinful, that I'm needy, that I'm hurting, that I'm sick, that I'm blind, then Jesus is their Messiah. He's their Savior. But Jesus can't save you if you've already saved yourself. He can't help you if you've already helped yourself. And listen, he can't teach you anything if you already think you know everything. So the wise and the prudent, here are some of their characteristics They are not moved by the simplicity of the gospel. And this is where I got to watch my heart because sometimes I can take things for granted. I can take the love of God for granted and all that Jesus has done, which is why we take communion on a regular basis to remind us because sometimes we forget and we need to be still and think about the sacrifice of Jesus and the love of God that is still ongoing to this day and will not stop. But the wise and the prudent, man, that don't move them. Uh, Go on and talk about something deep, Pastor. Why do you always got to talk about the gospel and the love of God and the the forgiveness of God? Man, let's talk about the eschatology and pneumatology and angelology. Let's go deep into hermeneutics and all of that stuff that we can't even spell but we can barely pronounce. Come on, man, get deep. But babes know it gets no deeper than the love of God. Your kids want nothing more than to know that they are loved. Christmas has come and gone. They can't find half them toys you bought them. But they just want to know, I'm loved. That's what makes them secure. That's what develops their little personalities. It's love. And even when they get older, they still need the love of mom and dad. And as we get older in Christ, we still need the love of the father. 
but you're wise and prudent when you're not teachable. <laughs> mm, I know when I'm dealing with somebody that's, you know, too big for, them, for their britches. I, I know I'm dealing with somebody uh, that, that's wise and prudent because you can't teach them anything. They can't learn a new thought. Um, or, or if they learn, the learning has to come through certain vessels. They can't learn from common people or from nature or from people you've never heard of or who are not as popular. They may be locked into a couple of teachers, but man, in the kingdom, we should always be learning because the kingdom is like this. The Bible is so deep that even the greatest theologian can't touch the bottom in it, but it's also so shallow that babes can wait in it and not drown. And there are times that my children can teach me about the kingdom of God, especially when they come out of this church on Sunday, having learned some principles in those rooms back there. And they come and sit down with dad. And I'm like, I never saw that in the scriptures before because I want to make myself humble and teachable like a babe. But some of us, man, we're not humble and teachable. You can't teach us anything. Mm, mm, mm. And, And another thing about babes while I'm at it. Babes are not afraid and children to demonstratively show affection for their parents. Now, when they start becoming teenagers and stuff, dad, don't kiss me in public. Dad, don't do that. Dad, you know, and and we keep on doing it anyway. I don't care what they say to me. I'm kissing them in public. I'm straightening their hair in public. I'm getting sleet out their eye in public. They don't, hey, I'm going to love you, girl. Get on back over and hug your father. But when they're little, they don't care. And some of us, as we grow in Christ, our demonstrative affection towards him decreases and wanes. What I mean by that is children will affectionately lift their hands up to their parents, pick me up. And sometimes when we worship, the lifting of the hands is saying to God, would you please just pick me up? Would you please just hold me? And sometimes in worship, that's what we do. But when I am wise and prudent, self-sufficient, arrogant. I'm not lifting my hands to God. I got this. But man, when you get into the presence of the king, there's no one as high as God. And I humble myself and I am his child. And every now and then I lift my hand and say, daddy, I need you. Sometimes that hand is a wave of glory and honor and blessing. But man, when you're a child, you'll just say, daddy, here I am. I'm your son. Thank you for loving me. I lift my hands and I don't care what anybody thinks about it. But not the wise and the prudent. Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. She's like, you must be kidding me. These new babes who came in, if they keep quiet, it's going to be a rock concert around here. I'm telling you, they're going to praise God because they haven't gotten so intellectual that they are no longer spiritual. Some of us get so intellectual, we are no longer spiritual, which is why Paul said knowledge puffs up. Mm, It ain't about you. It never has been, and it never will be. And children, we know that. It's daddy's world. And then finally, you know you're wise and prudent when you don't obey the Lord's commands. You know why? Because now you're trying to figure it out, and you're going to the Greek and the Hebrew and this concordance. And so when someone talks about the simplicity of tithing, the wise and the prudent say, wait a minute, we're not under the Old Testament law. We don't have to give. And they start going down that road, and it's like, uh uh-oh. When you talk about man, the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The wise and the prudent say, I can have church at home. Uh, You know, the Lord is there. When you start talking about interracial dating and marriage, the wise and the prudent say, well, wait a minute. Society says, and 
You're trying to be too smart for your own self when you need to be like a child and trust daddy. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, in conclusion, man, does our response to Jesus cause him to rejoice over us or to weep over us? I believe Jesus rejoices when we acknowledge our need for him and our childlike faith and even ineptness. That's when he's like, I got it. I got you. But when we think we got it, God resists the proud. And I believe it breaks his heart. And he weeps when Chris is acting independent. Then I get out there and get broke. Then I'm running back to daddy's arms. He's like, if you just stay with me, you wouldn't have to go through that. He's either rejoicing or he's weeping over us today. But above all, in terms of people who don't know him, will you be a child and say, I need Jesus? I've been going to church. I've been doing all this. But, man, I am not saved. There's a void that's in my heart. I need Jesus. The Bible says, become like a child. You saw them children skipping out of here. They were free. In a moment, I'm going to encourage you to skip up here and say, yeah, Jesus is calling me to the midst, to the middle. And I'll take my stand right there with him. I don't care whether you're 9 or 99. Let's get this year started off right. But then for the majority of us in here who have a relationship with the Lord, maybe we need to have some fresh repentance. Because, man, we've been wise and prudent. We don't even read our Bibles anymore. We don't even pray unless we get into trouble. We don't check in with the Father. We, we got this. I've been walking with God long enough to kind of know how it goes. No, become a child again and crave, 1 Peter 2, 2, the pure and sincere milk of the word of God. And may prayer not just be a grocery list or something you do when you're in trouble, but may it be because you just like being with your father. Before my wife went on this uh, cruise, she wanted to take time with all the kids and just snuggle with them. She just wanted to snuggle with them. So I'm waking up in the middle of the night, and there's Karis snuggling with Darina. I wake up, and there's Chase snuggling with Darina. Then she's sitting downstairs snuggling with Dante, all 20 years, six foot of him. She's just snuggling with her son, watching uh, one of them TV shows they like together. She's snuggling with Krista as if she ain't coming back. Uh, she did snuggle with me too, so that's good. And, and so you show your love when you snuggle. When's the last time you just snuggle with Papa? I just I'm gonna snuggle with you in private, even in public, in the workplace. Oh yeah, I'm a child. I'm a son. I'm a daughter, and I need him and I love him. So maybe some of us need to repent today. Would you stand to your feet as we close? As the brothers come back, isn't it good to see brothers lead worship? I mean, I tell you what, love it.